you can pay more or you can pay less for that new camera. Today, I'm going to tell you why you should plan to pay more. This is episode 86 of the Shutterbug Life Podcast. Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hey there, welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. This is your weekly photography lifestyle podcast, and we're building a lifestyle around creating great pictures, building an audience, and making an impact. I'm your host, Lynn from Warden. Of course, you can call me Lynn. And I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about why you should spend more for your camera. Now, I probably have talked over the past year or so I've been doing this podcast on lots of ways to save money and and, and why you shouldn't upgrade and, and reasons why that camera might be more than you need. And today I'm going to make the opposite argument. I'm going to tell you why you need to spend more money and when you would need to spend more money. So I was minding my own business at Photo Photo Plus Expo, um, the show in New York City, and I'm standing there and I was looking, um, I was outside in the main part of the J- Jacob Javits Center. I'm looking around, uh, l- actually I was looking at uh, what I thought would be a potential picture I was going to take, and this guy walks up to me and says, just out of the clear blue, um, he wanted to know what kind of camera he should buy, which I thought was odd. Like, why would you just walk up to me out of the clear blue? But, uh, you know, he's at a photography show, and I guess he's just figured anyone would be fair game. So, he, so you know, I can't resist a conversation like that. I said, well, it depends. You know, what kind of stuff do you want to do? How much money do you want to spend? That kind of stuff. And... Based on what he told me, he he wanted to spend just a few hundred dollars, but I but I told him, no, no, you're gonna need to spend a lot more than that. Now, why did I tell him that, and why might I tell you that? I'll tell you after this quick message. This is the music you can hear on just about any given afternoon on a random street corner in the middle of the French Quarter in New Orleans. And that's why a lot of people go to that city for the music. Many people go for food. Others go for culture and nightlife. But tell you what, as photographers, we go for the photo ops. There are tons of photo ops all over New Orleans, and we try and take them all in. 
We go from the swamps to the cemeteries, from historic neighborhoods to the iconic French Quarter to night shots in the river. We take it all in. And while we're there... We try and create just a wide range of different kinds of photographs that you can only get in this very special and historic city. I know New Orleans well because this is where I grew up. This is where I learned to take pictures. And so for me, it's just a treat to take you back and introduce you to the Big Easy as it's known. Now, if you want an idea of the kinds of images you'll be able to take there, Go to shutterbuglife.com forward slash New Orleans and take a look at that best of New Orleans video. I made it from the images and video snippets of our attendees, and you'll see not just the great images we can take, but the fun you'll have while you do it. We're going back this spring, and I hope you can join us. It will be March 30 to April 2, 2017. March 30 to April 2, 2017. Again, go to shutterbuglife.com forward slash New Orleans to learn more about it and to register. Dave didn't want to hear what I had to say. He was asking for camera advice at the Photo Plus Expo, but what I told him proved to be a pretty bitter pill for him to swallow. He told me what he wanted. He wanted a camera that he could use as a budding photojournalist who wants to cover sports. Okay, sounds interesting. How much money do you want to spend? What's your budget? He said, oh, maybe a few hundred dollars. <laughs> no, Dave. If you want a, a camera that you can use as a budding photojournalist to shoot sports, you're going to need to move that decimal over. You're going to need to spend at least $2,000-ish for the body and probably a little bit more in lenses, too. His mouth hit the floor because I don't know if he was expecting me to tell him to spend that much more money than he had planned. And in many cases, I've been telling you over the life of this podcast how you can spend less and why you should spend less and that you should spend less. But there are times when you're like Dave and his situation when you really ought to plan to spend more. And what I want to talk about is why and when you should plan to spend more for your camera. And if we could just really boil it down to bare essence, it's because you would spend more because of the features and capabilities you're buying with the more expensive camera are something you will absolutely need for the kind of work and the kind of conditions that you plan. The features that you buy into have to be those that you absolutely need for the kind of work you're going to do or the conditions where you will be working or taking your photographs. And, and that's basically what it boiled down to for Dave. And it, it might be for you as well. Now, these days, why you need the more expensive camera? There's some features that you will get on the higher end that you won't get on the lower end. And again, it, it, depending on what you're shooting, 
that could be a big deal to you. High ISO range historically has been one of those kinds of features. You want to be able to really, what you, what you get with that high ISO range is the ability to go into low light and dark conditions where you cannot use a flash or any extra or any external light and still be able to make great pictures with a high ISO and not have so much noise in it that it becomes distracting. So if you are regularly shooting somewhere where it's dark, you know, if Dave said he wanted to shoot high school games, like high school football games, high school basketball games in the gym, well, chances are you're going to be shooting in conditions where you would need to be able to shoot not just in low light, but in low light with fast enough shutter speeds to be able, in many cases, to stop action meaning you want a fast shutter speed. And the only way to get that is to be able to boost your ISO very high. When you boost your ISO that high, then the camera can give you fast shutter speeds and you can really stop action when you are photographing uh, a basketball game or wrestling match indoors. So yeah, Dave, if you want to, to photograph in those kinds of conditions, you need to look for high ISO capability. And the cool thing is, it used to be uh, hot that high ISO capability was only in top tier or high end cameras. But now, as we see features begin to start at the, the flagship models and creep their way down the um, down the camera manufacturer's line, we're seeing entry level now with high ISO capability that you normally only get in professional cameras, say five, six years ago. So that's good. But that just means the ones at the top end go even higher, meaning that you can get in practically no light and, and get a good shot. I remember when I went to see the dog and pony show for the Nikon D500 and the D5, they talked about it being able to shoot in such low light that the end of the horizon at the beginning of the water, if you were at the, at the beach or at the edge of water, they would be almost indistinguishable. It would be so dark and your camera would still be able to focus and meter in that condition. So, and that's why you spend, I think, on the D5, $6,000. If that's important to you, then, you, of course, you'll need to upgrade. So the high ISO range or the ability to shoot in low light conditions. Now, you know, for many people, you're shooting, oh, I'm only traveling, I'm only on vacation, I'm only shooting daytime and maybe a few evening shots, but I can, you know, take a flash with me. Good, then that's not as a big a deal for you, but for, the, for if you find find yourself shooting a lot in a place like that, then uh, you'll want to pay more. The the next and probably one of the the key differentiators when you start to upgrade is you get a magnesium alloy body as opposed to the plastic body. So for most entry level cameras, you'll get a plastic body and it's, you know, it's plastic. So if you drop it, it will break it more easily 
um, than a more durable camera. Many of them aren't sealed for weather or dust or anything like that. So if you take them into harsh or extreme conditions, you compromise the camera and, of course, your pictures. But if you upgrade because you find that you're going to be taking pictures in more demanding situations, then you can get the magnesium alloy, which will be a little more sturdy. So, I mean, you don't ever want to drop a camera, but if it, t- it can take probably a little more jostling and a little more wear and tear than your plastic models can. And then many of them are are weather sealed and uh, sealed for dust and, and and the weather sealed the 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 way it's been explained is if if it falls from the sky then you should be safe to shoot in that kind of weather. So snow, light rain, these kinds of things if you're shooting with a weather sealed camera you can usually stay out and get the shot and who would that be? usually someone who is working um, as some sort of a, a, a photojournalist or someone who does wildlife photography and and knows that the best shots are going to be in extreme conditions or even some street photography in, in many conditions. And then also, if you, with frequency, if you're going to be taking your camera out a lot, and even if you are shooting in a perfectly, um, you know, safe-ish kind of environment, if you're taking your camera out a lot, you, the more it goes out, the more you increase the odds that it might fall or slip or, or, or come into some other unfortunate circumstance. And so the, the more the more wear and tear you're going to put on the camera, the probably the better off you'll be going with something a little more sturdy. So the magnesium alloy body will do that. And, and then the the next feature that would warrant upgrading is the autofocus capability. It, it, with your lower end cameras, and again now they're all getting so much better. It's it's great, but. Ideally, what you're looking for is the ability to have a quick acquisition of your subject and tracking of your subject, meaning if your subject is a bald eagle that's flying from across the sky, left to right, erratic back and forward, you want the kind of autofocus capability that when you point the camera in that direction, latch on and begin focusing on that subject pretty quickly and not do the hunting that you have in lower end camera. You know, the camera's looking and looking. This one will grab the subject quicker and will hang on to it as it moves across the frame so that you can continue to use your continuous focus, autofocusing and get um, a, a sharp image you know, pulled off. So, and then one of the things you see in, in, in lower end cameras is the autofocus, the clump of autofocus points are just in the middle of the, of the overall, um, viewfinder, LCD, I mean, viewfinder. But if when you upgrade, you will get them all the way from edge to edge of the, of the screen, which gives you more opportunity again to acquire the image and hold on to it and track it as it moves across the frame. So autofocus capability is something that you would want to upgrade, f- uh, for potentially depending on the kinds of subject matter you are shooting. Another feature you see 
advertised um, quite prominently in the higher end cameras is the the continuous shooting rate. Once upon a time, three to four frames per second was a hot shot, then then six, then now we're up at you know ten, eleven, twelve. And again, depending on what you're shooting, if you are doing fast moving wildlife, then that fast, um, uh, the ability to shoot, you know, 10 to 12 frames per second would be pretty helpful for you in just making sure you get the shot. Now, now some photographers will look down at you and say that's more like spray and pray. And, um, you know, I get that too. But again, it, it's always good to have the capability. You never know if and when you might need it. And so the more frames per second you can squeeze out, especially if you're doing sports for like once in a lifetime events, like you're, you're, you happen to be able to shoot uh, an NFL game or the, the Olympics or something like that, where you have to get the shot. And, uh, being able to rattle off 10, 12 frames per second is going to be helpful. Just keep in mind that you've got to go through all those images and uh, view them and edit them as well. And, and, and also keep in mind that your, your camera has to, when it shoots that fast, buffer those images somewhere while it, while it processes and downloads them. So, in many cases, for many cameras, it's shooting faster than the processor can process and download them. And so you get sort of a a, a backlog, if you will, where the camera camera's buffer gets full and you have to stop and wait and give it time to download. Now, in some of the higher end, well, even like the new Nikon D500, you have a faster car that will let you practically shoot i forget how many seconds but it's like you know um 20 seconds almost is it 20 seconds i don't want to give out bad information but you can shoot you know for a long time at 10 12 frames per second and not fill the buffer so now you have even more latitude when you are shooting if you really wanted to spray and then pray so um, your continuous shooting capability, whether that's the frames per second, whether that is the the processor processing the images quickly, or the card being able to, to to accept and download them, you know that whole ecosystem uh, there will help you or be be important to you, and it might be worth upgrading from the entry level to one that is a little more um, robust. And of course, then we touched on sensor performance, and really, you can you can see the difference in a, a, a sensor from a high end camera and an entry level camera. Now, again, with all cameras these days, you get great pictures. You can get great pictures from an entry level camera, probably better than we got from pro cameras six, seven years ago but not better than pro cameras we have today. You can really look at just how well the sensor replicates the scene and shows color and shows detail. Um, the higher end, you really see the difference. And it's so interesting. Sometimes when I'm leading a photo photo walk, I remember once when I was doing a night photography 
um, photo tour, which is, you know, when all the attendees have their cameras set up on tripods and they're all looking for the LCD screens. So I can walk from one end to the other and look at all the images one after the other fairly easily, more so than I could in any other um, photo tour situation. And you can, even on the backs of cameras, the difference in in what you saw in terms of quality from one to the others was, was really just very obvious and and staggering. So in in, in that sense, sensor in you know, sensor performance, you get what you pay for in many cases. And so um, you can go to uh, sites like CameraLabs.com where they'll give they'll show extensive tests on sensors, and even rank which sensor which cameras have the best sensors these days. And of course, that keeps changing, but it's worth taking a look at if if performance is the absolute um, top priority for you, and and you are now selling and showing to the kinds of demanding clients for whom the best it's the best or nothing, then you'll want to pay attention to that. Um, a small um, feature that you will see on mid-range uh, prosumer to, to pro cameras are dual card slots. And it, it's it's a little thing, but it's a big thing because it allows you to start backing up automatically. So if you are on a shoot and one card dies, you have it set up to automatically, you know, back up to the second card slot. You 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 have backups already. Sometimes it's good to do raw on one and JPEG on the other, and. Uh, I do that just in case I want to pull a JPEG out and upload it quickly. I have a separate card uh, with just that, with those images. So dual card slots are, are pretty are, are pretty useful feature to have, but you usually won't get them on the entry level. And if you are doing the kind of work where backup is essential or speed is important, meaning you want to be able to yank out that, that JPEG and and ship an image to an editor quickly, but you still want to keep your 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 raw images. Then, uh, of course, you can do that on uh, you can do raw plus on a single card slot. But it's it's a much cleaner workflow if you have two cards uh, two cards. And then if you're shooting video and stills, it gives you a way to shoot one on one and one on the other. There are lots of ways to help you use that to. To, to begin to segregate your work so that you can get to it and, and, and speed up your workflow, as well as just using it for the, um, the peace of mind of backing up your images. And then finally, lens choice is a big deal. Lens choice is huge because the camera is only as good as the glass you have available. And sometimes you might want to pay more to get into a system where they have a large, a, a, a wider variety of high quality lenses and glass. And so, which is for a long time why you would buy into a Nikon or Canon DSLR system because they just had the largest inventory of high quality lenses, not just their own, but also third party manufacturers who also will make for them. And then some of the newer up and coming, uh, new and up and coming camera manufacturers just didn't have that range. And so you wanted to buy into a system where you would have a larger range and that usually came with a little higher price tag. 
but it was worth it if you were going to want to have a good range. Now, when would you need the more expensive camera? We sort of talked about this in the embedded in these scenarios. If any of these scenarios are ones where you think you would find find yourself needing that that um, flexibility or that feature set, then it's it might be worth upgrading to a higher priced camera. And and one of the reasons you might you might need to the wens is if you have a business like if if you're using your camera to make money, then you probably are going to want to upgrade only because of one the performance will give you better quality for your clients, and depending on what kind of work you're doing, whether it's weddings or photojournalism, events or commercials, in, in in all of these genres, you're putting a lot of wear and tear in the camera, and it's usually in a wide variety of diverse and demanding conditions. I mean, outside of really shooting, um, if you're just going to shoot for yourself or, or shoot... Um, um, Arts, artsy, fine art image, imagery, then you can probably get away with any camera you want. But if you're shooting for higher, then you probably want to, to upgrade. And this is the main reason I told Dave he needed to upgrade to um, a higher priced camera because um because of the features he was going to need as a photojournalist shooting in 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 a variety of conditions shooting in in demanding places where you you're going to want to do more than just get you know a headshot if you're just doing a business if he was a business um writer and he was just going to do headshots and profiles of people he might be you know might have been able to get away with less expensive but he's going to want to have something a little more robust for what he was doing so if you're using your camera to make money then you probably should invest a little bit more in it so that you can get the best quality for your clients and uh, the best condi- the best features for you to work and work more efficiently. And if and even if it's not, the second when is if you are shooting in a lot of demanding situations. So you might be a uh, an enthusiast photographer, but you know that you're going to be doing a lot of hiking to remote locations and shooting in outdoors in 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 a lot of wildlife and nature um, kinds of subjects. Then you're probably going to want going to want to upgrade to a camera that will give you the magnesium alloy body and the autofocus capability and the continuous shooting, and probably the sensor. Before you're going to want all those features because you will find that they will become almost necessary um, for you as you start to take your work more seriously and get better. You will f- you will find that if you don't upgrade, you will start to bump into the limitations of an entry-level camera pretty quickly. And then when your subject matter requires precision. So let's say you are photographing birds. And I had a former client who was a bird photographer who just upgraded and probably found out that for the kind of work she was doing that required precision and shooting in demanding situations, 
upgrading was going to be the best all the best option for her. And so when your subject matter requires precision, meaning you are photographing a bird that's starting on one end of the frame and moving erratically through the frame out the other side, or you are shooting sports where you have you're shooting into a few with with, you know, 22 guys and you really you're trying to make two stand out, your subject matter require and they're moving at a fast fast clip your subject matter requires precision and you're going to need a, a camera um that will uh, uh, allow you to do that and also come away with the shot the greater probability of the time based on your own skill set and then the last um reason i thought about was resale value you, you know if you if you've ever tried to sell an entry level camera you know that it doesn't hold its value the same way a top-of-the-line camera might or top-of-the-line lens. If you buy a top-of-the-line lens, a 24 to 72.8 or 70 to 200 2.8, those things usually hold a good bit of their value. So if you decided to sell one from the original camera manufacturer, you could probably keep a good chunk of the money you've spent as opposed to some of the off-brands where it it plummets almost 50% the minute you take it home. So if you are looking for potential resale value, meaning you are buying this for your business and you know as your business grows, you plan to upgrade and, and upgrade based on the growth pattern pretty quickly, then you're going to want to also invest in the kinds of gear that will retain its value as much as possible so that you can... Um, Keep keep some of that investment as you continue um, as you continue upgrading your gear. So that's why and when you'd buy the most expensive camera. Now you're probably wondering what I told my friend Dave to get, and what I told Dave to do was, I told him at a minimum he needed to get the Canon. 7D Mark II, which is a, you know, a good sturdy camera. I said, if you can't get that one, I mean, if you have more to, if you can get more to spend, maybe the Nikon D500 is another good alternative, but both of these are good cameras for what he wanted to do, which was shoot sports, meaning he potentially was going to be far away from his subjects. And so the fact that we have these, um, crop factor cameras, as they call them, APS, APS-C size sensor means that you'll get a little extra reach, meaning you'll the effect of a 200 millimeter lens will make it will will make it look like more like a 300 millimeter um, lens on that sensor. So you 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 get to pull in your subjects and just a little closer, and then you get those cameras are both known for having just really great autofocus capability, as well as being rugged and sturdy, and they have a host of other features that would come in handy if you are a, a journalist and a, a journalist who wants to shoot sports. And I and and he, you know he still sort of looked at me a little dubious, and I said, you know, think about it this way: if you are selling a story to an, an editor, and your story comes with really outstanding images, and another writer who is also there sends in a story with okay or no images at all, who do you think the editor is going to run? 
it's going to be the one with the great images because this in this day and age where you've got to have visuals, you've got to have images and video if you want to catch people's attention. And so the best quality images, meaning the camera that lets you get the shot easiest with the least amount of work, and let's face it, some of them do, even, you know, skill set aside, you don't, you have to work harder with some cameras than with others. And so the ones that let you get focus on composing and getting your light right and just taking and working your artistry without worrying about so much about the, 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 the technical aspects of what the camera does. I mean, with that, when you have the higher probability of routinely turning in great shots with your work, then you get more work. And I to- so I told him, I said, you know, you if you bought that, sooner or later it would pay for itself in your ability to attract more work. And you know, that's the same thing I'd say to anyone who was thinking about it for any sort of a business um situation. So that's what I, I recommended to him. I said, go look at the 7D Mark II. And I said that because it's probably on the shelves a little longer than the uh, Nikon D500, quite honestly. And for someone who's budget conscious, he would probably probably get a better deal on that um, new or used. And that one is a little less than $2,000 the last time I checked. He probably will want to get a long lens with it. And I, I would suggest that he get a 200 to 500 since he's doing sports or a long, a long lens like that that is off brand. I, 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 you know, he's trying to save money. He can probably go Tamron or Sigma and get some decent long, a decent telephoto lens and either one of those brands that will serve him well. And then just a, a workhorse, um, 24 to 105, if he can't afford the 24 to 70. Um, and, and that, and, and that might get him through most situations. I would probably suggest a fast prime in there. In case he has to do portraits, he might want to do something in the 80 to 100 range. But, you know, we're spending a lot of money for a guy who just wanted to spend a couple hundred dollars. But based on the premise of this blo- of this podcast episode, when would you want to spend more money and why? If you find yourself in a place where you need to spend more money, that's what you'd want to spend it on. And that's why you would want to spend it. <laughs> Well, thanks again for sticking with another episode of the Shutterbug Life podcast. Before I go, I just want to tell you really quickly, I am planning a fall cruise. I call it the New England Photography Adventure Workshop and Cruise. And it will be next fall, 2017, uh, September 30 through October 7. And we're going to start in New York City. We're going to go up the coast to Newport, Rhode Island, Boston, Massachusetts, Bar Harbor, Maine, St. John's, New Brunswick, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and then we'll come back to New York City. You will have just a wide range of really quaint little villages, shipping, um, you know, little shipping towns, uh, 
shooting lighthouses and and just a wide range of those kinds of things. And of course, you will get fall colors in magnificent, magnificent display. You can learn more about it by going to cruise.shutterbuglife.com, cruise.shutterbuglife.com and learn more about it. And, you know, we'll talk more about it as we go along. But I just want to let you know that that is out and available for you if you want to sign up. Um, and then one other thing, the, remember we, I talked about the N- New Orleans, uh, photo tour <clears throat> that is also available and you can go to shutterbuglife.com forward slash New Orleans. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you happen to live in Washington, DC or New York City, you can feel free to join in any of our free meetups. We're just a bunch of friendly photographers who hang out together, shoot pictures and have a great time. And in between, you can share your images in our Facebook group. Just go to fb.shutterbuglife.com and it'll take you right there. Come on in and share your images and let us know what you're working on and what you've learned so far. All right. All right. That's, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for sticking around. And if you, if you like what we do here, make sure you sign up at shutterbuglife.com forward slash subscribe. And I'll make sure you don't miss another episode because I'll send you a cool little reminder at least once per week. And if you're on, uh, if you're on, if you listen to your podcast on iTunes, and of course, we're, I'm there too, and you can subscribe there as well and leave a, leave a rating and review. All right. That's it for this week. Thank you again. Wherever you go this week, whatever you do, enjoy your Shutterbug life. Take care.